Well, if you've got a Bible with you this morning, I do want to encourage you to open it to Genesis chapter 2 and to follow along. Uh, we are actually wrapping up our series on the spiritual disciplines this morning. The series is called Rhythms of Grace, and throughout this series, we have explored a number of different spiritual disciplines together. Uh, we looked at sort of listening and speaking, or Bible intake and prayer. We looked at fasting and feasting. We looked at solitude and community. We looked at simplicity and generosity. Last week, we took a look at the idea of service and today we come to the Christian discipline or the spiritual discipline or rhythm of grace of rest. Now, maybe this one seems like the oddest of the spiritual disciplines to preach on in the middle of a pandemic, just knowing that our activities and our comings and goings are somewhat limited. But I think at the same time, we all know that just having more time at home doesn't automatically translate into genuine rest. And maybe the reason that many of us struggle with confinement of any type is because we are restless on the inside. I mean, we always need to be doing something or achieving something. I think deep down, we all know that we need rest, and yet so often we resist it. When I think about rest, I think about an experience from nearly 20 years ago now that's forever etched in my memory. I was at a midweek pastors and spouses retreat. Uh, we had a free afternoon to do whatever we wanted to do. And Ilona had decided to join some of the ladies for a hike. I had volunteered to take whichever kid it was who was with us at the time and put them down for a nap. I was just being my usual selfless self. Uh, either that or I wanted to take a nap myself. In any case, we had this free afternoon, which basically turned into an entire session of meltdown. Our son was having none of the nap, and I don't often say things like, you know, I, I, I felt like the Lord gave me a picture, but I felt like the Lord gave me a picture that day. I remember just standing there watching my son crying, screaming, banging on the door of the cabin while I was thinking, why would anyone in their right mind refuse rest? especially when it's so clear that that's exactly what they need. They're overtired. I mean, if you came to me on almost any day of the week and said, hey, Lee, look, we've set up this dark room with a bed in it, and you know, you could just go and take a nap. I mean, I am there so quickly. I'm under those covers, and I'm out. But as I thought about watching my son that day, what I saw was a reflection of myself. I'm the one who refuses to rest, even though I know I need it. Now, I know I'm not alone in that. Many of you probably experience the same thing. But God has so ordered even the structure of our week that rest is built right into it, or it's supposed to be. And yet, rather than seeing it as a gift, so many of us see it as a burden, in a book entitled Crazy Busy, Kevin DeYoung identifies what he calls the killer peas for why we find ourselves unable to rest. 
And you may identify with at least some of these. The first killer P is people-pleasing. Much of our busyness can be attributed to trying to meet other people's expectations. We take those on. Similar to that is pats on the back, right? We busy ourselves so that we might receive praise from others. They're both related to the killer P of pride. Especially the idea that no one else can do it like I can do it. Another killer P is possessions. We wear ourselves out so that we can get more stuff or better stuff, or maybe so that we can get a a little bit bigger place, or maybe we wear ourselves out so we can get to take that vacation that we need from all of our striving. Other killer P's are proving myself or pity. I mean, don't you feel sorry for me when you hear how busy I am? Sometimes our busyness stems from poor planning or desire for prestige or a manifestation of perfectionism. In our day of social media, some of it might be related to posting, right? We want everyone to know that we don't suffer from FOMO or the fear of missing out because we're not missing out. I mean, look at all the great stuff we're doing. But regardless of what it stems from, Many of us do not take the rest that God offers us. And as we think about rest as a rhythm of grace, I want, us to, I want to anchor our thoughts in the very first passage in the Bible about rest. We're looking at Genesis chapter 2, and I'm just going to read the first three verses of that chapter. This is God's word. And this is what it says. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the vast and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, we will move beyond this to look at some other passages today, but this passage is foundational to everything else the Bible says about rest. And the first thing we ought to note from this passage is that rest is one of God's good gifts at creation. Now, this is a a short passage. We just looked at three verses. Verse 1 of chapter 2 is really a summary of everything that happened in Genesis chapter 1 in the creation account. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. Verses 2 and 3 then tell us that after finishing the work of creation in six days, God rested on the seventh day. And in some ways, it seems almost anticlimactic to us that the only thing that happened on the seventh day of creation was that God rested. But if we look a little bit deeper, we will see that this act of resting actually established a pattern that was to be normative for all of human history. The creation account in Genesis 1 begins by telling us that creation began with the earth in a formless and void state. And if we were working our way through Genesis 1, we would see that the first three days of creation deal with the forming of the earth, and then the next three days of creation deal with the filling of the earth. And Genesis chapter 1 helps us understand that everything that God made was made for his glory to display or demonstrate the glory of God. 
And the culmination of God's creative activity is found in the creation of humanity on day six. But while God created everything for his glory, everything created prior to the creation of man was actually preparing for man's arrival. So verse 11 of chapter 1 says, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. So who did those fruit trees bear fruit for? I mean, ultimately it was for the glory of God. But they were also God's gifts to humanity. In fact, by the time man is created, everything is made ready for him. The world is filled with God's good gifts. And then we come to the beginning of chapter 2 in the statement that God rested on the seventh day. And then verse 2 of chapter 2 says this, And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And the Hebrew word for rested that is used here is Shabbat. It means to cease or to stop or to desist. And it's not hard to see how the word Sabbath is derived from it. Verse 3 not only says that God rested on the seventh day, but that he blessed it and that he made it holy. So there's something special about the seventh day. It is unlike the other six days of creation. And you can see it even as you just compare its description, the description of the seventh day with the description of the other six days. So on day one, you have the creation of light, light and darkness are separated. The matching day to that is day four, where you have the creation of the luminaries, the sun, moon and stars, the sun and moon are separated. On day two, you have the creation of the waters, the creation of the heavens or the sky. And then day five is the the parallel to that where you have the creation of the fish and the sea creatures and the creation of the birds and the sky creatures, that which fills the earth and the heavens. Day three, you have the creation of the, the, the land and the creation of vegetation. And then day six, you find a corresponding day, which is the creation of the animals that fill the land and the creation of man who inhabits it and, and consumes of all the vegetation. And then you have day seven, where God simply rests from all the work that he's done in creation. And there is no parallel to the seventh day. It stands alone. So you read Genesis 1, you'll find that it's, it's also differentiated by the fact that in the other six days, there is a concluding formula that says, and there was evening and there was morning, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. But on the seventh day, it's just left open-ended. I'm going to come back and say something about that later. But what we really need to understand about this day of rest is that it is also one of God's gifts to us. God pronounced a special blessing on it. He set it apart from the other days. He made it special. But that's not the way a lot of people think about the Sabbath. That's not the the way a lot of people think about rest. So often when we think about the Sabbath, we either fall into the category of legalism or license. So we either think in terms of what we can or cannot do, what's permissible for us and what's not permissible to do on this day, or we think of the Sabbath as being totally irrelevant. I mean, it's just a a remnant of a bygone day with no enduring relevance. We can just take it or leave it. 
Instead, I want to say that we ought to see the Sabbath as a gift to humanity. I mean, we we live such hectic lives. We operate at a frenetic pace. But God has built rest into the very fabric of our world. And we don't take it to our own peril. I think I shared this with you when I preached on the Sabbath back in our Ten Commandments series. But when I think about the way we live, one of the pictures that comes to mind for me is a picture from the cat in the hat. It's the page where the cat is pirouetting on a rubber ball. He's balancing a a teetering mountain of stacked objects. He's got a a fishbowl on a rake, a tray with a milk jug on on his free foot. He's got a cake and a teacup on his hat, a toy boat on one hand, a tower of books on the other. He's got a Japanese fan that he's holding in the curled up tip of his tail. And the cat claims, even as he's doing all of that, that he's capable of even greater feats than this. But then in a characteristic bit of Dr. Seuss's wisdom, we read, that is what the cat said. Then he fell on his head. He came down with a bump from up there on the ball, and Sally and I, we saw all the things fall. And some of you can relate to that. I mean, your whole life feels like this great balancing act. You're trying to keep everything up in the air. You're trying to juggle the demands of work and other commitments along with the demands of family. And maybe the only difference is that you just haven't crashed yet. See, what we need is rest. And God has actually given us rest in the Sabbath, if we will take it. Rest is a rhythm of grace. It's one of God's gifts to us. Jesus saw the Sabbath as a gift. You might remember this story from his ministry It says, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate ate the bread of the presence in which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was not made, or the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. It is a gift to us. So what if instead of approaching the Sabbath by asking, well, what are the things I can and cannot do? What's the minimum I need to do to fulfill the requirements of this day? What if instead of that, we ask, what are the implications of Sabbath for my life? How do I align my life in such a way that it fits in with the rhythm of six days of meaningful labor and one day of meaningful rest? And my encouragement to you is to see the Sabbath as a gift from God. And I say this to you as the chief of sinners in regard to it. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time just talking about why we rest or why we Sabbath. And I would say that we rest for several reasons. The first reason is in imitation of God. 
Now, when we read Genesis 2, we're actually not given a command about the Sabbath. The passage just tells us that God rested on the seventh day. He blessed it. He made it holy. But when we do get to the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, it grounds the commandment about the Sabbath in this idea of God's rest. And here's what it says there. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. And then it says, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. See, our rest is rooted in God's rest. Now, maybe the natural question to ask at this point is, is what does it mean to say that God rested? I mean, did he get tired and need a break? Does God still rest on the Sabbath? Is that the day that no prayers are answered, no miracles are performed? What kind of rest is being described here in Genesis chapter 2? Well, we know it's not the physical kind of rest that you and I need. Psalm 121 tells us, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. See, God doesn't sleep or slumber. He doesn't need that kind of rest. God's rest is also not the rest of inactivity. After healing a man on the Sabbath, Jesus had a confrontation with the religious leaders of his day. And here's what happens there. It says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day. And I too am working. So God is always at work. So if that's the case, what does it mean to say that God rested? What we need to to see in this passage is that God's rest is not the rest of inactivity. If you actually go back to the creation account, you see a bit of this pattern actually each day of the creation account. At the end of each day, God stands back and renders his evaluation of what he made. And God saw that it was good, is the repeated refrain. And then at the end of the sixth day, he steps back and says, and it was very good. And then on the seventh day, God rests. So God's rest is the rest of satisfaction. It's like an artist stepping back to admire his work. Now, we have been created in the image of God, which means that we were created to be both workers and resters. So one day out of seven, we ought to be able to step back and reflect on six meaningful days of labor and enjoy a day of meaningful rest. And we do this in imitation of the pattern that God has given to us. There's a second reason that we rest or we Sabbath, and that is in remembrance of what God has done for us. So earlier we looked at commandment number four, the commandment about the Sabbath as it appears in the book of Exodus. And the fourth commandment grounds the command of the Sabbath in the fact that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day. 
The Ten Commandments are also found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And it's interesting just to note the difference between those two passages. See if you can pick up on it. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 5. It says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant nor an ox, your donkey or any of your animals nor any foreigner residing in your town so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. And then it says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So the reason for the Sabbath in Exodus is rooted in creation. In six days, God made the earth and rested on the seventh. The reason for the commandment in Deuteronomy is that you are to remember that you were slaves in Egypt and God has rescued you. rooted in redemption. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. See, in Egypt, the Israelites had no choice. You couldn't choose between work and rest. Your taskmasters decided for you. You weren't there to rest. You were there to work. Pharaoh had large ambitions. He had lots of tall, pointy monuments that he wanted built. And so he rested while you worked. And the Israelites lived like this for 400 years. So when they gained their freedom, or more accurately, when God rescued them and redeemed them from the hand of the Egyptians, they were supposed to take one day out of seven to remember and celebrate. Now, does that sound like an onerous thing, or does that sound like a gift? Now, interestingly, we don't actually worship on the Sabbath anymore. That's not the day that we remember. Seventh day of the week is Saturday, but as Christians, we gather on the first day of the week. And the reason for the change is because Jesus was raised on the first day of the week. Almost immediately, Christians started gathering on Sunday instead of Saturday. You can see it in passages like 1 Corinthians 16 where it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of every week. Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. That was their pattern. They gathered on the first day of the week. Or again in Acts chapter 20, it says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread... Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. So the day may have changed from Saturday to Sunday, but the reason for our gathering has not changed. Why do we gather on Sunday? Well, it's to remember what God has done for us in Christ. It's to look back and know that Jesus has redeemed us. He has freed us from our slavery. We're no longer slaves to sin and death. See, slaves don't rest. Slaves can't rest. Rest is a condition of liberty. And we are free people. But we need to be reminded of how we got our freedom. Now, I know this is a strange time. We're not gathering together physically 
uh, at this point. But this is the reason that when we do gather, this is the reason we celebrate communion as often as we do as a church. It's one of the most common questions we get as a church. Why do you celebrate communion every week? Now, church doesn't have to. The reason we do is because every week we remind one another of what God has done for us in Christ. That he has rescued us, freed us from our slavery to sin and death. And so just as there is a rhythm to the week of creation, so there ought to be a rhythm to our lives. Our week actually begins on Sunday. And it begins with a reminder that Jesus has purchased our freedom by his death and resurrection. And when we start there, when we start with the idea that we are free, we're no longer slaves. We're free to enjoy God's good gifts. We're free to work for his glory. That's what allows us to enter into that rest. We rest in what he has accomplished for us. There's a third reason we Sabbath or that we rest. And that is as an act of trust. It's a story in the book of Exodus about what happens after the Israelites are rescued from Egypt. Almost immediately they begin to complain about the lack of food. And God hears their grumbling. He miraculously provides food for them, manna from heaven. He literally rains down bread on top of them. Enough bread for each day. And what God is doing in that is he's teaching them dependence. Along with the provision of food, God gives them a command about the Sabbath. Here's what he says. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, and all that is left over, lay aside and keep till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field." Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. And when we read on from there in the book of Exodus, what we find is that many people do not trust in God's provision for this. The seventh day comes and they get out of bed just like they've done every other day and they go looking for bread. This is what you do if you have a scarcity mindset. Oh yes, God has provided But I'm not really sure there is enough for us. And so just to make sure, I'm going to go gather even more. And that is the way a lot of people live. Now in Exodus, their pursuit of more turned out to be totally fruitless. There was no bread to be found. And what was left there did have worms. It did stink. But I want to say that's often true for us as well. When we wear ourselves out, when we do not trust in the provision of God, so often it just ends up being a fruitless pursuit. Now, I know we all have different work situations and and work environments, and some of you might be tempted to push back. Look, you know, I, I, I... My schedule doesn't work like that. I can't just take a full day of rest. You have to find the rest where you can take it. But I will just tell you that in my own life, I've had experiences where I have Sabbathed well and experiences or stretches of time where I have not. I think I've said this to you before, but when I was in seminary, I was working three-quarter time. I was taking a three-quarter 
time course load. Ilona and I had just started dating. I was serving as a deacon in the college ministry of our church. Life was busy, but I was committed to taking a day of rest. And so from Saturday sundown until Sunday sundown every week, I would just take a day of rest. I would not do homework. I wouldn't do anything that was required of me. I would just rest in God's provision. It was an act of trust for me. But what I will say is that I actually believe I was more productive because of that day of rest than I would have been had I just sort of worked all along or worked seven days. Now, there have been other seasons in my life, and I know this from experience, there have been seasons where I have not taken a day of rest and I have not seen any extra fruit by doing that. When I've stepped back and evaluated, I felt like all I've actually done is just wear myself out. Lots of activity and busyness, but nothing to show for it. When we take a Sabbath, we declare that we trust God to provide. Everyone around us can be working and shopping and doing whatever else it is that they do the rest of the week, but we rest in God's provision. We say, I trust you enough to follow the pattern you gave us. There's a fourth reason that we rest or we Sabbath, and that is because we need it. There's a great line found in a story in Mark chapter 6 that would be easy to miss if you just read over it quickly. Jesus had sent out his disciples to do works of ministry in nearby towns and villages. And when they come back, we read this. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Does that sound familiar to any of you? I mean, we're just kind of coming and going and rushing here and there. We don't even have time to eat. We just hit the the drive-through. So Jesus' disciples, they come back from a successful ministry venture, and what he tells them is they need to come away and rest. We need rest. So if you awoke one morning in a pool of blood, you'd probably change your life. That's what happened to Arianna Huffington of Huffington Post fame. After she collapsed from exhaustion, smashed her cheekbone on her desk and dropped to the floor. She was at the peak of her success with money and power in abundance, but something was not right. And here's what she said. She said, I was not living a successful life by any sane definition of success. I knew something had to radically change. I could not go on that way. And she did change. She's actually gone on to become what she calls a sleep evangelist, right? Encouraging everyone to get the rest that they need. One of my professors in college used to say, the abundant Christian life starts with a good night's sleep. I like what Don Carson said about this. He said, sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is get a good night's sleep. Not pray all night, but sleep. I'm certainly not denying that there may be a place for praying all night. I'm merely insisting that in the normal course of things, spiritual discipline obligates you to get the sleep your body needs. So look, science backs this up, but it's actually just good theology. We need rest. 
So Jesus' disciples come back after this frenzied activity, and what he tells them is, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and get some rest. Now, we have to figure out what that might mean for us. It doesn't always mean a holiday. But at the very least, I would suggest that it means getting away from something. It might mean a physical getting away, but it might just mean that, you know, you need to get away from your phone or get away from other technological distractions and get some proper rest. The final reason that we rest or Sabbath, and that is we do it in anticipation of what is still to come. Now, this whole idea of rest can actually be traced all through the Bible's storyline. At creation, God establishes a pattern of rest for his people. But ever since his people were banished from the Garden of Eden, we have been restless. The Israelites thought they might find rest when they entered into the promised land, and they did experience moments of rest. But the rest was always short-lived. And the reason is because we will not experience ultimate rest until we experience it in heaven. And so as we're as we look at this idea of Sabbath, as we look at this idea of rest, we, ought to, we need to take in mind what the New Testament tells us about it. I said that that seventh day of creation was left open-ended. It's even more than that when you look what the New Testament says about it. Here's a great passage from Hebrews chapter 4. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in the passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. And then it says, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And this is a word to all of us, that we enter into God's rest because of what Jesus has done for us. And that Sabbath day rest will ultimately be fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth that we will experience. Now, next week, we're starting a Christmas series, and that series is called A Better Christmas. We're looking at the the themes of Advent but why they're better because of what Jesus has done for us. We're going to start with a better hope, and we're going to be looking at the idea of heaven next week. So look forward to that, but that's where we'll find ultimate rest. Let's just pray together today. Father, we want to thank you for your grace towards us. We thank you for the gift of rest that you have given to us, offered to us. So often we resist it. We think we don't need it. We rely on ourselves. And God, we pray that we would be people who can enter into the rest or enter into the rest that you give us 
for the right reasons, because of what you've done for us, because we're free people, because of what we're looking forward to, and because you give it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.